Welcome to episode 12. This is an interview with the commercial fashion director and photographer, Mackenzie Duncan. Welcome back to Star Seller Matters. My name is Daniel Philbin. This is a podcast proudly brought to you by entrepreneurabroad.com. Got a great conversation today with a guy who is known as a fashion director and photographer. He's worked with some of the biggest brands in the world, Starbucks, Puma, McLaren, Reebok. He's also set up an NGO called Apathy is Boring, a charity organization that uses art and technology to educate Youth, along with co-founding JM and Sons, a lifestyle and furniture brand. There's a lot we're going to be covering today. And Mackenzie's going to be talking to you not only about how he started these businesses, but how he's been able to take his passions for creating and building products and services, turn them into businesses that really add value to people's lives. Great conversation. Stick around and tune in. The creative process. Just saying those words gets me nervous. Regardless of whatever you do, you're going to have challenges and times where you struggle to find meaning in what you're doing and why. And one of the cool things about this conversation is Mackenzie talks openly about the struggles that he's had with not only finding his creative spark, but keeping it. He calls it the end of the struggle of creative constipation. I think he's probably right. (laughs) If you get a couple of seconds, do me a favor, leave a five-star review. Let's get into the conversation. Kenzie, welcome to Start Something Matters. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the audience knows that you built three businesses, but you didn't start there. So tell me, what's your story? Where did you start? I was born on Vancouver Island. I lived in Yellowknife, which is way up north in Canada. And my dad is actually a trained engineer in a house he built about an hour outside of the city. And when I was in grade six, and my mom, and she took a leave of sabbatical to work on her first book. She has about 35 books published. We moved back down to Vancouver Island, and I spent the majority of my childhood living in a log cabin. I'm on a dead-end road, about five acres of land on a river. I grew up snowboarding. The season's pass was always quite expensive, five or six hundred bucks a year. My friend Paul and I got together and started quirky fleece hats. They had jester hats and all these weird designs. When we started sewing those, we made twelve or fourteen hundred dollars between the two of us to both buy season's passes for a couple of kids in grade five. I thought we did all right. And then the local ski shop wanted to pick them up and sell them. Part of me was like, wicked, we could make a whole bunch of money. But at that point in my life, I was like, I don't need another five hundred dollars. I need more days on the mountain snowboarding. So we shot down the business. I always love building and creating and I have a very spatial mind. I was always tooting around with a camera when I was younger and playing around and we had a photo lab and dark room back when people still shot film in high school. Teenage years are very challenging. I wasn't the happiest kid. I was trying to figure out who I was, figure out what I wanted in life, what made me happy. My learning style generally doesn't go well with standardized testing. And nearing the end of grade 12, I, I wasn't ready to go into university. So I was considering taking sort of the outdoor route and becoming a rafting guide or or a search and rescue person. My art teacher from there took myself and a few others on a tour of some schools in Vancouver, and I ended up studying film and graphic design there, which kind of launched me into the creative path. I was with all these other creatives. I was living in the east side of Vancouver, which was super rough. I was living in a house with four or five other people, which was totally new to me. And then I got out of school and started working freelance design and designing books and designing websites and designing whatever I could. It was very difficult to value your worth. You're also learning the business side of it. How did you value yourself? What did you learn in those initial stages? You start to learn how to detail a contract. So if hours are blowing up, you're kind of covering your butt in that respect. Especially in this day and age, there's two things that are the most valuable, an idea and data. And I think that's a hard thing to argue at this point. You look at 
open data or you look at Facebook or you look at any of these giant tech companies, what makes them valuable is their data. But what makes them exist is the idea. Without the idea, none of that data would exist. You start to understand yourself and you understand your ideas and creativity as something that's uniquely you. And at that point, you can start to understand why it's so valuable. Ended up moving to Montreal, paying rent with a friend of my sister's by doing design work. We end up at this party, start chatting with this guy who's a social change kind of person. And the three of us start jamming on this idea of educating and motivate youth on democracy to get people out voting and to kind of change that apathetic behavior that's well known in the youth culture. And that was kind of where Apathy is Boring was born. And it's now we're in our 11th year, chaired the board and have done most of the creative direction over the last while. So that's kind of how that not-for-profit came about. That's a totally different path. Is this something that you're doing on the side, this organization that you set up to help youth? Where are you working at this stage? Are you still freelancing? For the first many years of this running, two or three years, nobody was making any money. I was still making my money doing design work. Tell me about some of the challenges you face setting up your freelance business. Hustling and networking is something that I think didn't necessarily come naturally to me. I was quite shy growing up and quite introverted. I had to challenge myself to learn that side of things and learn how to be comfortable in a group setting instead of one-on-one. Everything was new and that was kind of terrifying, but I was also I was living very frugally, maybe spending $500 a month. Got a laptop and like one pair of shoes, a couple t-shirts. I saved $2,000 over the course of the year, which was an amazing amount of money for me at the time. I'd never been traveling. I'd never been outside of Canada other than maybe once or twice. So I decided that I wanted to go and learn how to surf. Took six months and I flew down to Central America and I lived on the beach. I was spending about $2 a day, including my flight. I survived for six months. I would hitchhike through Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and all the way up through Mexico. My Spanish was pretty atrocious. And through that experience, it really opened up my ability to meet people because when you're traveling by yourself, you just have to. And also kind of set me on the path that I decided I wanted to take, which was more photography than design. And so when I came back to Montreal after that, I ended up in Toronto assisting photographers. Meanwhile, still doing some small design jobs on the side to kind of pay for the beginning of my photo career. All right, let's head to a break. When we come back, McKay's going to tell you exactly how he got into the photography business and the opportunities that he created for himself, which were available to anybody. Welcome back to Star Center Matters. My name is Daniel Philbin. This is a podcast proudly brought to you by entrepreneurabroad.com. You're listening to Mackenzie Duncan, the guy who set up three businesses. One's a not-for-profit, one's directing and photography, and the other one is a lifestyle brand related to furniture. There's a lot to learn, so let's get back to the conversation. How important was the saving of the $2,000 to your career and also to give yourself the flexibility and the freedom to learn about the world and different cultures. I thought it was the dumbest move to blow $2,000 going to be a beach bum. I could save for another bunch of years, maybe a down payment on a condo. So at the time, it, was, it seemed like the wrong thing to do. In hindsight, was probably one of the most pivotal moments of my life. After doing that trip, I had my best friend Paul said, before that trip, you would walk into a, a room of 10 people, like a little dinner party and you would leave, and you would maybe have made one friend. And then when I got back, he's like, you're the same person, but you walk into a room and you leave with 10 friends. Because I was able to just socialize, and I'm quite a social person. I love meeting new people. I love talking, and that's so much of what my job is now. Looking back, do you think that's the best $2,000 you've ever spent? Oh, easily. 
Hands down. I do it all the time. I've been all over the world, I've been to Iceland, been all through Europe, uh, Indonesia, New Zealand. I think traveling is so important. It opens up your mind, it opens up your network. And for me, it really keeps me motivated, interested, and a little bit out of my comfort zone. You get back to Montreal, you get a photography job being an assistant. How did you get the guy to say, yeah, sure, I'll give you an assistant job, and you had no prior experience? How did you do it? This is actually a, a, probably going to be a key part of this interview. I didn't have a camera on that trip. I wrote a lot, and which I tend to do when I travel. I was on the beach. I was living on, in this tiny little area with a campsite, and I met this, this wonderful French-Canadian actress, and we hit it off. And we chatted a bunch and we got each other's email. And she's like, oh, if you're ever back in Montreal, let me know. So I get to Montreal and I email her. It's like, hey, Elizabeth, back in town. I'm looking into getting into photography. And she's like, oh, let's have a coffee. And she used to model when she was younger. So we're having a chat about this. And I'm saying how I want to get into fashion photography. And she's like, oh, give me, give me two seconds. And she calls this guy, Peter, who she had shot with when she was younger. And we drive up to his studio. He has this beautiful bank old bank in Montreal and he's that was his studio and we walk in and I show him some pictures and I'm super my pictures are like of sunsets and people sitting on the beach he was basically like perfect yeah what are you doing next week why don't you come on set I'm shooting for this client and there I was the third assistant I didn't drink coffee at the time so I had to learn how to make all the different coffees I swept the floor the only positive in my opinion positive thing that I gave to that set that day was nobody knew how to tie a double Windsor knot on a tie, which I had learned in high school. There we go, I was suddenly tying a double Windsor tie on the models and probably making terrible coffee, but at the time I thought it was probably pretty good. So that's how that happened. Try to make sure that someone sees that you're adding some form of value to the situation. What happens next? Yeah, so I did this assisting job, it was three days, and then I went to Toronto to visit some friends, and I just cold-called a bunch of photographers. And I remember meeting with one, and I was I walked up the stairs to his studio, and it was at the end of the hallway, and I stood there, and I was sweating and couldn't control my breathing. I was so nervous, and I ended up assisting him for a while, and then you start meeting other assistants, and then that's how your network grows. Yeah, you, you, make, you make that sound so easy because you just went back to Canada and you made some cold calls. No one makes cold calls. Like, you're 21 at the time. What gave you the right to pick up the phone and just randomly call some photographers and get meetings? I am so stubborn that when I set my mind to something, no one's going to tell me I can't do it. Actually, everyone's going to tell me I can't do it and I'm going to do it. So I think that was just my mindset. I'd, I'd come back. I was invincible. I just spent six months surviving in Central America. America, which to me at the time was mind-blowing. It was like going to Mars. I was like, oh, how hard can it be to get into this photography thing? No big deal. Kind of hustled as much as I could and asked anyone and introduced myself to everyone. And, and then that was kind of how it started off. Was it more nerve-wracking making the cold call to get the meeting or was it harder to actually sit down in the office? You walk into this guy's studio, probably have four t-shirts to my name and a backpack and a guitar. And I walk into this guy's studio and it's this huge studio, big windows, like pictures of gorgeous models everywhere, camera equipment, lights, just so out of my element. And in hindsight, I mean, it wasn't even that amazing of a studio. <laughs> I mean, very much money assisting. I'm making a decent money working late nights doing my design work. I decide it's time for me to get a studio. So I rent and I think it was eight or 900 square foot studio in this super sketchy loft on the east end of Toronto. And my mom was like, we can help you with your first two or three months of rent if you're unable to make it. So it was a bit of a safety net. And I think I, I ended up only needing a month or so of that, which was amazing. And I am like, thank them to this day. When I moved into my studio, I'm not a word of a lie. I slept on the floor for a week because I had no mattress. I had no blanket. Uh, I didn't have any dishes. I had nothing. I could only afford to print and frame three photos. 
It was both probably the most exciting and one of the most stressful times of my life, but I was just hustling. Hustling can mean a lot of things. You can be hustling and not get any results. What were you doing? That's true. I was going to lots of parties, but strategic. Like you go to parties that you know people will be at and you chat with people because really there's nothing more valuable than FaceTime. Go to different events, you go to fashion weeks, you go to agencies and introduce yourself so they they will give you their talent, like model talent or styling or whatever, within whatever industry you're in. And you go out to anything within your industry event-wise and you just network your butt off. Been doing that ever since. Worked in Paris, in New York for quite a while, and now I'm actually out in LA, which is kind of funny that we're having this conversation because I'm essentially doing the same thing I was doing in Toronto at that point. So I'm new to LA, but I still I have some key network people here, which makes it way easier, and I have a substantially stronger body of work. But I'm still cold calling people. I'm out meeting people. I'm going to little events. I'm doing all of that stuff here again, and I'm also living super frugally. I'm, my buddy just lent me his van. So he's got this wicked surf adventure van and I'm just living in his van and surfing every day and doing photo shoots. It's pretty amazing. Would you say that your lifestyle is more important than maybe, you know, settling down right now? Yeah, I'm very much on a journey of self-discovery still and I'm 32. Tell me about Paris and New York. I traveled through Europe a couple times and then um, kind of fell in love with the... Another French Canadian actress, she ended up in Paris. And so I, I ended up over there for a while and was considering staying there if it didn't end up playing out that way. I always write lists to sort of have know where I want to be in life. And one of the lists I wrote when I was 18 was that I want to live in New York for a while. I was shooting my first real client, which was sort of middle-aged women's clothing catalog stuff in Toronto, really terrible stuff. And I had to shoot something in New York. I had to produce it myself, so I had no idea what I was doing. And I ended up with this girl's number, so I asked her to help me produce it, and she produced it. We became friends because she's super awesome. And then years go by, and I maintain that network. And she calls me up, and she's like, hey, do you do any directing? It's like, yeah, I've been dabbling in co-directing some fashion films and stuff like this. She's like, I'm going to pitch you on a job. And I ended up directing a commercial for Starbucks, which was amazing. And that ended up getting me an agency in New York for directing. I said to a break, when we come back, Mackenzie's going to tell you exactly how he's built relationships with some of the biggest companies in the world, along with building a furniture-based lifestyle business, which allowed him the flexibility and the freedom to really show his creativity. Stick around. Welcome back to Start on the Matters. My name's Daniel Philbin. This is a podcast proudly brought to you by entrepreneurabroad.com. You're listening to Mackenzie Duncan, and he's going to be sharing with you right now how he went from photographer and director to starting a lifestyle brand which really was a tipping point for him to not only get back the creative spark that he had lost but also to reinvigorate a passion for his original business photography there's some great learnings and some takeaways so let's get back to the conversation a short film for starbucks one of the largest companies in the world. How did you find that contact? Allie, who was that producer, so she had a little handbag company, went down to New York and did photos for free for her handbags, which was great for me because then I had what looked like a campaign in my book of a New York brand and great for her because she doesn't have to pay for someone to do it. So I slept on her couch and she always loved my work. So she always helped me out a lot in New York when I was there. And then she had started doing freelance production for BBDO and this so this commercial for Starbucks was a web commercial, so it didn't have as much money behind it, and they needed proper actresses and actors. So my actual rate was tiny, 
and I actually didn't make any money on it because we took myself and my DP took our, our rates and put it towards renting better equipment. So the spot would be stronger. And, and by doing that, you're reinvesting in your business. And because we, we did that and executed on this job so well, it ended up for me shooting print campaigns for Starbucks as well, which was to this day, still the highest paying jobs I've ever had and got flown out to LA and shot out here for two or three days and, and uh, filled my bank account up. It's an amazing experience because people who are, are working at that level generally have their feet together a lot more than people who aren't. Brought my first assistant out from Toronto and we had an amazing team. And at that point, you really don't have anything to worry about. Photos for free. What has that done for you and having that mindset behind offering your services before you get paid? It's fun in a lot of ways to shoot for free because it takes all the pressure off. And you get to see how the dynamic is and you get to see if you actually create things properly together. And it gets you in the door, much like my other side project, as you know, is a furniture company. So we'll often give stuff to someone or give them a deal on a smaller product because we know they're going to love it and they're going to end up coming back for bigger things. Or give it to someone who, you know, has people rolling through their apartment or their house who are influential and who will want our products because of that. So it's all strategic. Reinvesting in your business is not an old concept and the creative world is exactly the same. You talked about the word strategic, but you also mentioned a furniture company. Where did that idea come from and when did you start? To throw back to my childhood, I was always building things. I built dozens of tree forts. I built bike jumps every day. I love building things. And so that's where that, that foundation came from. I had moved into a new condo in Montreal and it was basically a white box with cement floors. It was beautiful, super modern, but it was missing that warmth that I was used to. So I went and found these big planks of reclaimed wood and I found a welder and I designed a base for the table. I got it made and I built this beautiful nine foot long harvest style dinner table. And then I also built a desk and a, a bench out of a log and did a bunch of stuff. And when I was getting rid of that condo to move to Toronto, every single person who came into that space to see it offered me a couple thousand dollars for that table, which had cost me $500 to make. So at that point I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I just got all these compliments and I moved to Toronto and another one of my best friends, Junior, who I ended up founding this company with, we just kind of started it for fun on the side as a creative outlet. And then that story kind of progresses to him finishing his business school, not wanting to go back into finance, and us actually launching the company officially two or two and a half years ago now. These pieces are super creative. They seem real. You're not trying to build something that's going to fall over and break tomorrow. Where do you guys find yourselves with that business and how is it going? Junior has an amazing aesthetic, really loves the business side of things, which is what I don't like doing. I think we make a really great team. We come together really well on the design side of things. Nice to, to create pieces, designs that are actually tangible. So we'll have a dinner party, say, in my backyard in Toronto. Again, I have another 12-foot-long harvest table. You watch these moments go down, and you think to yourself, this moment's happening around a piece that I've designed and created, and through that, I'm curating this experience for everyone, which is a really rewarding thing. So the company has come about from a really honest place, and we've chosen to make it very local. We've chosen partially because we wanted to start limited runs because it, you don't have to hold inventory. So we kept the company super lean. My apartment is basically the office in Toronto. We have a small, modest wood shop in the back, a few contractors we work with, but we built every single product that went out for the first year and a half by ourselves. We each still have 10 fingers, which is amazing. We had a garage that was our first wood space in Toronto and we worked one winter. I don't know if you're a Celsius or Fahrenheit guy, but I remember spending eight hours in the wood shop. It was minus 25. We had no bathroom. We had nowhere to go except for a coffee shop that was two blocks away. But we would, we'd have to be there for days on end building things. You really just put yourself on the line. And, and you said earlier, 
about me kind of just going for it. Like that's exactly why I don't gamble. If I gamble, I'm the kind of guy who just goes all in on the first move all the time. So it's best to put that in business instead of gambling. Tell me about the biggest challenge in your life so far that you've faced. So part of starting Jam and Sons, I was going through a lot of burnout as a creative, creating imagery. I remember feeling this, being behind my camera, just thinking, what the am I doing with my life? You know what I mean? Like, is this really what I'm here for? To take pictures of clothing that six months from now is going to be completely irrelevant. I was kind of going through a moral creative dilemma and the furniture was a perfect outlet. It was tangible. You can get lost in the process. You're designing all new things. It was really rewarding. So I think Jam and Sons came about at a very perfect time for me as a creative. So I had actually planned to move to LA a year and a half ago and I spent a couple months, I rode my motorcycle out here actually from Toronto, which was amazing, and went back to Toronto around New Year's just for what I thought would be a week of jamming out on work with Junior, my business partner. I ended up there for a year and a half, just pushing, pushing, pushing on JM and Sons. And so now I'm kind of flipping back and like reinvigorating my photography because now I can support JM and Sons from not being there. I don't have to build every piece. We have people to build stuff. So now I can actually be offsite and focus on my photo career while still supporting JM and Sons. And I've stepped back a lot from that because he's boring as well. Take me back to that moment when you were behind the camera and you're thinking, why am I even doing this? Tell me about that moment. I wouldn't say moment is the right word for that. (laughs) I guess a moment could be long or short. To be quite honest, I've only really started climbing out of it in the last year. I had a really, really hard time. I was quite depressed. Uh, Work was slow. I was hating everything I was making. Nothing I was making felt genuine and pure. It didn't feel like it was coming from the right place. I wasn't enjoying the people I had to be around. I wasn't enjoying the networking side of it. And I, I pretty much checked out of my life for quite a while. I... Airbnb'd my apartment. Like I, w- I would come back and I would work with my clients that were ongoing and I had a few jobs here and there, but my my creative output really slowed down as, as did my financial input. I mean, I spent years, I would like ride my motorcycle around and kind of disappear for weeks on end. I'd go on surf trips. Wasn't really sure what I was doing or who I really needed to become. A lot of people with a steady career look at at freelance or entrepreneurship as they see all the roses and they don't see any of the thorns. So I, I worked my butt off. I still work my butt off. I work my butt off all the time. And I think 80% of the time I work, I do it for free, which is crazy. But for example, I emailed my buddy to see if he wanted to drive a few hours from Toronto to go surfing. And he was like, oh, I'm actually driving out to California. Why don't you come to Baja? I was like, cool, I'll see you in a week. Not that many people can do that. So it allows this freedom And it's very important to me as a creative, I kind of need that inspiration and I need to see new things and need to meet new people. And I also have a really deep-seated need to be near the ocean, which I've kind of denied myself of for the last decade, being in Toronto and New York. So I think if you stay really true to who you are and what you really need, your career output will reflect that. How important is your surroundings to the total output of your ability to be who you are and create the results that you want in your life? Oh, it's everything if you look at it, right? The people you surround yourself with, if they're positive, you're positive. If you're in a place that has no white walls and is just covered with chaos and you can't think, then your creative process is going to suck. People often poke fun at me because this, this condo I was talking about in Montreal, I designed around a grid system and it had nothing on the walls. So it was like this perfect white box because when I'm sitting there needing to think, I want to be in a white box. I don't want to stare at the same picture every time because it influences where my creative brain goes. In that respect, what's around me and what I surround myself with and being able to go, like the other night I drove my van up and slept near a surf spot so I could get up in the morning, surf out in this beautiful ocean, and then come back into town and and do some meetings. That to me is key. 
Got any other keys that you want to pass on that have served you well in business that you think would help somebody else out there that's listening right now? Be very true to yourself and, and true to your intuition. Follow your heart, if you will. Be respectful and treat everybody with respect because that pays off in spades. Find that balance. Like, like I'm, I'm sure when I'm through with my life, I'll be proud of my business successes, but it's those moments that really, that really make you feel alive that are more important than anything else. When it comes to creating photos, what relit the spark for you? I've really been putting a lot of time into working on like how I think, almost brain training. When it comes to creating photos, my awakening, I basically bought a little, it's called a Fuji X100S, a little rangefinder point and shoot. And I tucked it in my pocket and I drove my motorcycle across Canada and then down to LA. And while I did that, I would just kind of snap photos here and there because I was challenging my creative process to not have so much control, to not put so much thought into each frame, but to just fire photos off. And, and see what you capture and you look at something you just point your camera take a photo you don't set up lights you don't worry about that it's like a muscle you, if i don't surf for six months and i don't train or swim it's pretty hard the first couple of times and then a few weeks later you're out every day you're sore you're beaten up but it's easier and the muscles get stronger if you just start creating whatever you need to create if you're a musician you just start playing guitar if you're a writer you just start writing even if it, if you throw half of it out it doesn't matter you need to create what you create otherwise creative constipation might not be that elegant i think that applies to every creative endeavor creative constipation is definitely not elegant but it's to the point mackenzie duncan thanks so much for joining us here at stuff something about it as a podcast Proudly brought to you by entrepreneurabroad.com. Great conversation today. Finding and keeping your creative spark. Is there anything that's more important? To learn more about Mackenzie, head over to mackenzieduncan.com. Alternatively, go and support the guys. Head over to jmnsons.com. There you can find all of their awesome furniture products. There's one there you need to check out. It's called the Fox Desk. It's sort of like an old school wooden seat with a simplistic desk that just sort of lines up. It'd be perfect for a home office. There's a whole lot of other custom products there that you need to have a look at. And I can guarantee you one thing, these beautiful pieces will last your lifetime. If you're looking for some additional inspiration, head over to entrepreneurabroad.com. There you can find all the tweetables and everything you need to go and share what you just listened to. Build a business, make a big impact out there in the world. Start something that matters. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next conversation coming very shortly. If you get a couple of seconds, do me a favor, leave a five-star review. My name's Daniel Philbin, signing off. All right, it's giveaway time. We're at that time of the show where it's time for me to give you something for listening in to this podcast. If this is your first time, then we do give away things on this podcast because it's all about you, the listener. So some of the prizes have been book giveaways, others have been mentoring, some have been nearly $1,000 giveaways with products and services. If you want to learn more about how Entrepreneur Abroad can help you in your business, then head over there, entrepreneurabroad.com to learn about what we're giving away, mentoring, products, services, discounts, everything you need to go out there and build your business is over there to help you and support you. So come across, subscribe. If you want to get into the draw to win some of these prizes, all you need to do is subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star review, tell me what you think. Pretty simple. And have it at entrepreneurabroad.com. Subscribe there. And tell me that you left a five-star review and you've subscribed to the podcast. Otherwise, I've got no idea as to who has and how you can win prizes. So if you want to win, simple, get across to entrepreneurabroad.com. 
Thanks for supporting the show. My name's Daniel Philbin. I'll talk to you very shortly.